Carl's up first. Good morning, Carl. Yeah, hey, I'm exposing a root flare on a crepe myrrh that I've been needing to do for a long time. Good. And, um, of course, I mean, I, I've, I've come to all the little small little uh, roots, but my concern is the big roots that are, that are coming off this. Yeah. I've already cut one that was obviously above the flare. Uh-huh. The ones at the flare basically need to be cut correct no the the roots that are coming off at the flare are actually what create the flare long term so once you get down to where it's starting to flare out those are the roots you want to leave now if you find roots that are circling around or pressed up you know tight if you have a root that's pointing out to the right but it's double back to the left and it's up against the trunk yeah cut something like that but if they are radiating out and not forming a noose leave them be you're down as far as you need to be you've got 90 percent of your work done okay now I, it to me i can see the flare on one side but i really can't see it on the other and and, and what i mean that i mean the beginning of the flare yeah like like i think i might need to go a little bit lower i would and, probably and so, do it but at this point rather than be digging with a chisel or a hay hook which is what they always used to use i'd probably just use a strong blast of water to try to wash away that last half of an inch to an inch of dirt then you can trim out any of those little fibrous roots but you're getting pretty close to as deep as you need to be okay um again okay all right um i just uh, uh, okay all right cool uh, all right. Thank you very much. And if you if you end up with some of those roots, you know, half an inch, an inch up above the level of the soil, that's not a bad thing. Um, gosh, I you know, we were over in Atlanta last week at the big gift market. You look at crepe myrtles over there, and it is just almost like a solid woody mass. The You know, you look at these big old crepe myrtles that may be 20 inches in diameter, and the thing that forms that are the roots that are growing out from that point. So, uh, uh, yeah, work a little bit more around to that side where you're not seeing a lot coming out, but you're pretty darn close to as low as you need to go, Carl. Okay, and I'm just afraid the the, the roots I'm talking about, the, the bigger ones you tell me to go ahead and leave there. Yeah. It's almost, you know, not let me see that side of the flare. Don't worry you're about it. You're telling me that's... Yeah. Okay. We, okay. We'd then, actually... You know, we call it the root flare because what you're seeing is more the roots coming out from that point than the actual trunk. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Then that's perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you. you. Call me anytime I can help. Thank you for the call this morning. And goodbye. All right. Uh, Ron's up next. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? Uh, I'm great. Down here in Corpus Christi, Texas. Excellent. Three questions. I got an avocado, I got a mango, and I got citrus. Okay. You know the way of watering and fertilizing, especially during this time of the year. Well, that's easy because the watering is going to be the same on all of them. And I always tell people there's no such thing as too much water. There's just too often. So when you water, really soak very, very thoroughly. And then wait until that soil is dry about an inch to two inches deep. When you can stick your finger down in the soil and that surface feels good and dry, it's time to water again. I can't tell you how often that's going to be because it's dependent on wind, which you usually have plenty of in the Corpus area. It's dependent on temperature. It's dependent on sunlight. And if we have overclass, cloudy 
still, you know, whether you may not have to water more than once every couple of weeks if these trees have been in the ground a while. If you've got bright, sunny, windy weather, you may have to water every couple of days. Just remember, the worst thing you can do is water a little bit and water frequently. Instead, I want to see you really flood them when you water them and then let them go until the soil's dried to the proper point before you water again. How long have these plants been in the ground? A couple of years. Yeah, they're pretty well rooted. Uh, that's the advice I would follow. But again, don't go by the calendar. Feel that soil. And um, if you want to, you know, reduce the frequency of watering, you can always put some mulch over it. But at the same time, when you're judging when to water, you want to stick your finger down through the mulch and see what the soil underneath feels like. I got sandy soil. Yes, sir. Lucky you. You want to trade some rocks? Uh, <laughs> You bring them, and I'll bring them. <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay, what's question number two? Uh, fertilizing the same. You know, you've got a choice. Um, if you want to use a liquid fertilizer, whether it's Espoma or Medina or Ladybug, there's some good liquid fertilizers out there, but you need to do that often. You need to do it every two or three weeks if you're going with a liquid fertilizer. If you want to do a little less work, uh, go with the granular fertilizer. Any good organic one will work, and you probably only have to do that every two or three months instead of every two or three weeks. The plants will use the liquid fertilizer more quickly, but they'll also use it up a little bit more quickly. And so I guess maybe if I were just getting into a program, I would put down some dry fertilizer, and then I would hit them with a liquid fertilizer one time just to really get things started down there. After that, I'd probably never use liquid again. I'd just go to using that dry fertilizer three four times a year. About 11, 11, 13. That sounds like a chemical fertilizer to me, so I'm not going with that. I want something... The uh, the the thing about numbers, I don't even look at numbers on fertilizers because the numbers, all they tell you is what is in the fertilizer. They don't tell you what the plants can actually use. And the problem with chemical fertilizers, number one, they kill off a lot of the microbial life in the soil. Number two, they are in what we call... Um, an anion form that does not bond to the soil in any way. The plants probably get 10% of the nutrients. So if you've got 10% nitrogen, your plants are going to get about 1% nitrogen. When you go with a an organic fertilizer, and it doesn't mean manure. So you can go with a, an alfalfa-based. You can go with a, a organic fertilizers based on a number of different things. But those nutrients are in the cation form. Uh, they have a uh, they have a positive charge to them. They actually bond two things in the soil. And if you've got 10% nitrogen in your fertilizer, the plants are going to get all 10% of it. So a an organic fertilizer, let's say it has 5% nitrogen, nitrogen you're actually getting five times more fertilizer than you're getting with a 10 percent nitrogen chemical or synthetic fertilizer so um i'm anything that's got a nitrogen level above about seven or eight percent i'm going to tell you it's almost certainly chemically based and those nutrients are not nearly as long lasting for the plant and they're not they're they're very bad for the microbial life which i'm trying to support in the soil it has to grow. Has to grow uh, is a good product. It uh, has to grow as a liquid, so you're going to be using it uh, a lot more often. But and, and I'm talking about the has to grow plant. I do not recommend the has to grow lawn on trees. Has to grow lawn is great for grasses, but uh, you'll end up burning other things with it. 
Right. Now, uh, especially the avocado, they tell me that I have to water a lot deeper for the avocados. As a matter of fact, I I heard that they were quit selling them in Corpus Christi because they couldn't get watered deep enough. And on the trees, I want to use some ammonium sulfate, but tell me what else. Don't use ammonium sulfate. You're right back to your chemical fertilizers that are going to destroy the life you're trying to build in the soil. Ammonium sulfate is great for making bombs, but it's, uh, and I mean that, for that's how we got so much ammonium sulfate started, was back in World War II. They learned to make ammonium products for bombs to win the war with. But uh, ammonium sulfate is not what I would recommend, and you should be able to grow very good avocados in Corpus. Your issue is going to be more with salt. But uh, And you may have to water a little bit more frequently, but it'd be crazy to say don't grow an avocado because you can't water it enough. That simply doesn't make sense. I can tell you some people on the little ways up the Rio Grande Valley that grow some of the best avocados you'll ever find. I would suggest that you probably want to go with some of the Mexican avocado varieties, not the Calavos or you know some of the ones you see in the grocery store, but Joey or Opal or... Gosh, there are a lot of good ones that should grow really, really well for you. But in Corpus Christi, I'd be looking for Medina's Growing Green or Maestro Grows Texas Tea. Or, uh, like I say, Ladybug makes a couple of really good organic products. Nature's uh, Creation makes one they call premium lawn food, and that's going to be great. Don't don't let anybody tell you you have to use a special fertilizer for avocados or a special fertilizer for citrus. That's, that's like saying... Uh, that uh, Ron shouldn't eat anything except prime rib. That's all he needs. Uh, no, there are a lot of different things will feed your trees very adequately. Okay, yeah. Well, I use, I use basically the, the same fertilizer I've been using for my, my plumeria. I grow a lot of plumerias also. Yeah. And that's what I use. It's recommended, of course, by one of the big plumeria growers. Uh-huh. Uh, 11, 11, 13. And they're, they're getting away from the big deal where they used to have a super high middle number. Right. And that's not... That was definitely wasn't the solution. Right. But anyway, I'll check this out a little bit closer. I need to get get my trees perked up and growing. I do have a problem with the brown with the brown leaf tips. I think which is mm-hmm. caused by the humidity in the water. Maybe I need to water deeper and get that stuff flushed through or something. Well, the the brown tips are a sign of root damage. And if you're growing in corpus, if you're growing plants that are not salt tolerant, you're going to have a lot of brown root tips just because your water is salty, your soil is saltier, certainly than what we have in the hill country. But brown root t- or brown leaf tips can be a water issue, they can be a fertilizer issue, they can be, you know, a, a weed killer issue in the soil. All on earth a brown leaf tip tells you is something's bothering the roots. But if you want to grow with the fewest problems, you want to encourage the maximum amount of good biological life in the soil. Beneficial fungi, beneficial bacteria, uh, beneficial microarthropods. These are the things that protect your trees. There's uh, There are things we call mycorrhizal fungi. There are bacteria that form several layers uh, thick on the roots and the stem to protect against cottony root rot, against a lot of different problems. And every time you use that synthetic chemical fertilizer, you're killing off the good biological life in the soil. So, you know, again, most 
people across the country. And I was in Florida last week talking to growers. We were in Atlanta, Georgia the week before talking to growers. All they ever hear about is chemical fertilizers because they've, they're the ones that have the money to advertise, and they do a heck of a lot of it. But you get on a good program with organic fertilizers from Fox Farms, from Nature's Creation, from Medina, from Maestro Grow, you're going to find that you have a lot fewer diseases to deal with. You're going to find you have a lot fewer insect problems, and the fruit that you get is going to be much higher quality. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to, to look at the kind of fertilizer you're using, and if it, uh, you know, if it is chemically derived, uh, it's, it's going to work against the life in your soil, and it might make things grow well at first, but it's also going to create you know, a lot of different issues that you may have to deal with. Uh, if you notice, most of the big synthetic fertilizer companies also sell pesticides and fungicides and things. They love to see you have plants that grow quickly and have lots of problems, so they can sell you a few other things to treat your plants with. I can't remember. I mean, we have our nursery covers almost two acres. I can't remember the last time we had to spray for an insect or disease because we stay strictly organic and we work on building organic life in the soil. So it's just it's just a different mindset. Experiment with it. It doesn't happen overnight, but I can promise you, you'll grow better trees with fewer insect and disease issues when you stay with an organic fertilizer and organic program overall. Great. I think you're converting me. I hope so. You call me anytime I can help you, Ron. I got to listen to you more often. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. (laughs) I'm calling about the same thing about my Meyer lemons. Okay. Okay. I've done everything that I'm supposed to. I feed it. I water it real good. And it's got a lot of lemons, and they're yellow, yellow, yellow. And I've been testing them to see when they're going to get sweet because Uh they're not sweet at all. Well, what we need is sunshine. And as you well know, we have had overall a pretty cloudy fall. And clouds don't make sugar. Sunshine makes sugar. And that's what those trees need. And um, so if we get two, three weeks of sunny weather, you'll start getting more and more sugars built up in those Myers lemons. And that's when they're going to be a lot sweeter and a lot riper. Now, I'll tell you some years, and it's mainly cloudy years, they never get as sweet as they do in a really sunny year. But it doesn't have anything to do with what Janie's doing or not doing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's what Mother Nature decides to send our way in the form of sunlight energy so the plants can make the sugars to make the lemon sweet. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I've been wondering. I've been going out there, feeling them to see if I touch them, they'll fall off. Nope. And I, so I leave it alone. So I got one lemon, and I cut it, and I tasted it. It was sour as could be. So like you said, if you don't get enough sun, they don't get sweet. Now, yeah. another thing, it's got new flowers. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's crazy. It's got new flowers, and there's some already forming into a lemon green you know uh-huh said oh my god what what's so I, i'm holding on you know I, well I it's mother nature has i think mother nature is just showing us who's in charge mankind gets a little carried away with thinking that we can control things and uh uh that's why you know it, it takes a good 
a good stretch of really bad weather to remind us that there are a lot of things that we just can't control. And I will tell you, I've been on this earth quite a few years, and this is probably the most, I'd I'd say unusual, but weird is just a better word. This has been the weirdest weather I've ever seen in a 12-month period the past 12 months. So you hang in there. And always remember, before we had that Myers lemon, which been maybe, what, 20, 25 years, every lemon out there was sour. And we still make good lemonade. We just had to put some good old cane sugar in it. So every now and then we're going to have a year that we've got some sour lemons. But uh, there was a time when that's all we had. So uh, uh, hang in there. Your Myers Lemon's going to be good to you somewhere down the road. But I sure don't know if this is going to be the year that we, you know, that, we've, that we get the really sweet lemons. So we get lots of years. Okay. I've got another question. Yes, ma'am. I've got a uh, crepe myrtle. Okay. And uh, this is the first year I've been under the weather, so I haven't been able to do anything to the uh, where the uh, flowers were. Okay. Every year I go, I don't cut them. <laughs> I, I break them with my hand. Sure. The top. And, but I haven't done it this year. Don't worry but, about it. Don't worry about it. You're not. Once those seed pods dry, and you know the reasons you can break them is because that whole little stem is dead. Um, even if you didn't break them off, the new growth is going to come out slightly below that point. And at this point, the only thing you're doing is giving the crepe myrtle a little bit nicer hairdo. You're making it look a little bit nicer, but it's going to come out and grow. You're not improving the blooming. You're not improving the growth. You're not doing anything except uh, making your plant prettier. So you stop worrying about the fact that you haven't gotten those old seed pods broken off. The birds appreciate having them on there because they're still picking some seeds out of them. So put put your mind at rest on that, Janie. You don't have to get out and break those old seed heads off. Well, I've done it for many years, and the flowers come out so pretty. Oh, yeah. That's well, what I was wearing, that I wasn't going to have any flowers because of No, the- you don't worry about that. You haven't had as much exercise, but, uh, again, that's uh, that's something you haven't been able to have control over. So when okay. you feel like it, you can certainly go back to cutting those old things off. And it's true, in the middle of the summer, if you cut off those old seed pods, you will get more flowers more quickly. But by the time fall gets here... It makes you're not you're not making more flowers at all, whether you take those old seed pods on or off. And uh, remember, the birds do love you when you leave them on for a lot of the winter because it's a good source of food for them. Okay, now I've got an orchid tree, and uh-huh. it's not a white one; it's the other one. Yeah, but it's I grown from seed. Somebody gave me a seed, and I put it in the ground. And the third thing is about, oh, golly, at least 10, maybe 11 foot high. Uh-huh. And I didn't know it'd get like that. But what I want to know, as soon as it finished flowering, I want to cut it down to about four feet. That's fine. Is that okay? That's fine. What you have is what they call the purple orchid tree. And it, uh, or pato de vaca, whatever they call it, a cow foot because of the shape of those leaves. But if you let it bloom first and then cut it down and you won't be affecting next year's flowering at all. I will tell you, if you decide to get another one, you might want to look at what they call a Hong Kong orchid tree 
because yeah, you had that. I know that. And it blooms unless we get a hard freeze. It blooms for eight months out of the year instead of uh, two weeks out of the year. But yeah. uh, you you have a beautiful tree, and it will not hurt anything. It's just that we've had mild winters, so it hasn't frozen back like it usually does. But after oh. it flowers, you cut it back as far as you like, as long as you leave a couple of feet of trunk on it. Okay, then I'll go to your sh- store and get me one of those Hong Kong trees. Well, like we'll that. see. There's only one nursery in the country that produces them. So some years we get them, some years we don't. But uh, I love the flowers, and uh, I just, I'd just i rather have something that blooms over a long period of time. But exactly. I, I love those purple ones and the little white ones as well. So uh, huh? you okay. just get yourself feeling good, and we'll look forward to helping you whenever we can. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Janie. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Brian's next, and it'll be Cynthia and Bill. Good morning, Brian. Hey, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm better and better, improving by the day. You sound better than you did yesterday. Well, I sound a heck of a lot better than I did two weeks ago. There's some sort of crud going around that it just takes a while to get over, and very few things knock me back, and I haven't felt bad, but, man, I haven't had much voice. I'm, I'm glad I had a week off last week being out of town. Yes, sir. My wife, my wife's had it for two or three weeks now. Also, I, I've been blessed at, uh, or two, two mean one of the two that I haven't contracted <laughs> it and, and pray that I, I don't. Well, it's there, you know, I just, I, sometimes they get you, sometimes not. I think it's very important, especially in the winter months, cut back on sugar, increase that antioxidant intake, but every now and then it gets you anyway. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, this is the first time talking to you about plants. I talked to you three or four weeks ago about my pets with the vet. Very good. And uh, I've got a couple of peach trees that we planted either four, three or four springs ago. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I really haven't done any pruning to say other than clearing some of the low limbs that have reached six, eight feet out away from the tree, sure. causing me not be able to mow around it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm wondering, I keep hearing you talk about the, the glass shape and all that to keep the limbs low is, have I went too long before I can really, you know, or is it too late to really prune (laughs) those trees to start working on that shape? Well, yes, it, it really is. But remember this in nature, those trees don't get pruned that way. Uh, that pruning is for the convenience of picking that pruning is for, you know, to increase the amount of fruit that we get set, but it the trees don't have to be pruned that direction to get plenty of good peaches. The one thing that really will make better peaches for you is to thin them out because that tree left to its own devices will make a ton of little peaches. And look at it this way. If that tree can produce, let's say that tree can produce 200 pounds of fruit, do you want to have 200 peaches that weigh a pound a piece, or do you want to have 2,000 peaches that weigh a couple of ounces? And right, I so uh, what you want to do is just go through just limb by limb, and you want to leave your major limbs alone as long as they're not coming off below the graft point. Those don't to be taken off immediately. But you want to just want to go through that tree, and everywhere you have a limb coming off that has three or four little limbs branching off to the side, take half of them out. If it's got six little sprouts to the side, take three of them out and space them out. And so at this point in the life of this tree, no, I would certainly not be doing any drastic pruning on it, but I would still be thinning it 40 to 50% every winter, and you're going to get lots of good peaches out of it. Okay. Um, 
a couple other questions. Uh, one, I don't remember the species of peach that's supposed to be on it. Uh huh. But one is is a really beautiful sweet peach, and the other one is a, a hairless skin peach. It's almost like I guess an apricot. More like a nectarine. Or a nectarine, and yeah. they were supposed to both be the same tree. Um, <laughs> where so where anyway, did you buy them? We bought them on uh, just west of uh, Seguin on Highway 90. Oh, okay. That way I don't say, you know who I'm talking about, but I don't have to mention the name. Oh, certainly. Um, uh, but uh, and, and they're a reputable greenhouse, but uh, I just ended up with two different varieties here, or species, whichever you prefer. Yeah, varieties, yeah. yeah. The other problem I'm having is uh, just about the time that I need to be picking, all my fruit disappears. <laughs> Welcome to the world of raccoons and possums. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that tells you your trees are producing good fruit. Uh, there's no way yeah, of knowing. We live down here on the Guadalupe River, you yeah. know, and uh, down in the river bottom in a community. And, uh, you know, we're overrun with squirrels and, and other <laughs> wildlife. So, uh is, I, I don't know. Can you pick them early, and will they go ahead and ripen off the off the tree? They will soften, but they will not ripen. Um, okay. And that's why you can't buy a decent peach in the grocery store. Uh, the, there are some types of fruit, principally pears and apples, that continue to ripen after they are picked. And that's why, okay. you know, we have them over a very long season. Uh, fruits like uh, peaches, like plums, like apricots, uh, they once they pick are picked, they soften, but they don't ripen. So uh, it's harder to get good ones. If you want to look up the terms, it's called climateric versus non-climateric. But you've got to leave. You know, you want to pick them the day before the the animals show up. And I've always said, you know, the raccoons had an internet a long time before Al Gore claims he started <laughs> it. But uh, and, and in my garden, man, corn and peaches somebody gets the word that webster's peaches are ripe and they send out some message to every raccoon in kendall county and they come over and like you say they'll take every peach off a tree overnight and uh so it's just you have to stay ahead of them Uh, i find electricity is the only thing that stops them and i you know will have a couple of electric wires and I'll tell you how bad I am. If it's dry, I go out every evening and wet down the soil underneath those electric wires. And my old black heart, I love to hear that raccoon scream in the middle of the night because he he came across an electric wire and couldn't get to my peaches or my corn. But uh, uh, no, long answer, short question. They grounded him. Yeah, (laughs) they they don't ripen. They just get softer. So do everything you can to keep the varmints away. And uh, don't worry about you know varieties i mean is is your really sweet peach is it a white meat or a yellow meat it's a yellow meat and is it a cling peach or a, a freestone no it's it's a it it it's just a regular pitted peach i mean you know it's got the mm-hmm. yellow um meat in it with a little bit of red in the skin and sure. uh, and now the the nectarines are more of a red skinned yeah uh looking fruit yeah well the Um, important thing uh, is it sounds like you got varieties that fit in with your chilling zone so that's the only important thing doesn't matter what the doesn't matter what the name is if it tastes good yeah oh yeah they're they're good if you can get them before everybody else does well one other quick quick comment if you've got the time go right ahead um everybody keeps talking about commercial fertilization and and everything and um you know my dad is 
coming up on his 80th birthday, and he lives up at Canyon Lake, and how anybody can get anything to grow up there and all that rock is beyond me. But he sets out about a dozen tomato plants every spring of different varieties (laughs) and has some of the most wonderful and wonderful-tasting fruit come off those tomato plants. And uh, we're originally out of Indiana, which is, in my opinion, some of the best tomato country in the world. I agree. Uh, uh, But, you know, he uses uh, six-month-old to a year-old horse manure. Mm -hmm. That is is all he does with with, – he started out with a raised bed with uh, box store uh, compost and soil, which is not – super organic but unless he got lucky and got um new way or somebody else's accidentally um but he has the greatest fruit in the world and, well uh, you know he, he never uses any commercial any commercial fertilizer at all so that's all i wanted to say bob okay. and i let thank me, you for your show and well let me let me just tell you one thing to caution him about and that is the source of his horse manure um because it uh unfortunately more and more people are using hay that has been sprayed with this long-lasting herbicide called picloram. And right. as long as that horse manure comes from an area where the horses have either been grazing or eating non-treated hay, you know, I would mm-hmm. not tell him to do a thing differently. But if he's not sure of his manure source, then uh, – it is a good idea to take some of that horse manure before you put it on your plants, put a little bit of it in a bucket of water, soak it overnight, and take some of that water and go pour it over a dandelion or pour it over some broadleaf weed and watch it for 24 hours because that will tell you if there's any herbicide in the manure. If that weed starts mm-hmm. to shrivel and die, I sure wouldn't put that manure around my tomato plants. Yeah. If that weed continues to grow, then... Um, Go for it because yeah, you know we we there's a lot of horse manure in the world this day these days, and the stuff that comes from the horses is really good for plants. Okay, well, thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate the call. Do it again, Brian. We'll talk again. All right, Cynthia, Bill, and Kay are my next three callers, and Cynthia is first. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I've got pretty much the same problem as the caller before me. Okay, I have a. I had a peach tree that had been growing for about 10 years. Um, a few years ago, I finally saw a peach that was actually red, so it really wasn't <laughs> a peach tree after all. Okay. So I was assuming it was a um, a plum. I never mm-hmm. get to get any fruit on it because, of course, the uh, dinner bell goes off. And right. It's all gone. So I bought a plum tree to partner with it, um, but this peach, now plum tree, is blooms so much earlier so i don't know what it is it's and it doesn't get pollinated very well i guess because it doesn't have a its buddy because right. its buddy's not in bloom yet well and that you know what what happens is many i'm sorry many of the fruit trees they have a little internal clock that tells them or a little internal thermometer that tells them how many hours of weather we have had below 45 degrees, and that's called chill hours. And once a tree fulfills its chilling requirement, it'll bloom the next time we have warm weather. And so that's why some of these trees bloom 
much earlier than we really want them to. That's why we try to match up the chilling hours with the area in which you're living and growing. So uh, the nice thing about plums is that they will usually make at least some fruit, at least many varieties, Santa Rosa and uh, you know several of the others, will bloom and produce fruit even if you don't have a second tree. So I, if we have... Uh, you know, a winter where it doesn't warm up early, you may very well get to the point that many years they bloom at about the same time, and those are the years that you're going to get the most fruit. But the trees that bloom super early, a lot of times it's not necessarily the critters that get the fruit. It's just that the fruit forms, but then we get another cold spell, and that fruit freezes before it gets a chance to really develop well. So I think that may be at least a part of what you're looking at and um, unless you find a way to control the weather, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. By by thinning the trees, you will increase the number of flowers, and especially on a plum, you'll get fruit every year. One of the big problems with plum trees, too, if you don't thin them out, they'll have a lot of blooms, a lot of fruit one year, and absolutely zero the next. Plus, the trees get weakened, and they don't live as long. So about all I can tell you is be sure to thin those trees, but... You know, when they bloom is going to depend on the weather. It's not going to depend on anything Cynthia does or doesn't do. Oh, okay. Well, it's it gets loaded with flowers every year, but nothing. <laughs> well, again, a lot of times what happens on an early blooming tree is it may set the fruit. That fruit may be so tiny you can't even see it. It would take a microscope to see it developing. But then we have a frost two weeks later, and all that fruit gets frozen and mm. died uh, before it even starts to develop. So I think that is probably at least a substantial part of what you're seeing. Just uh, if you plant more peaches or plums, either one, and it's more important actually with peaches and plums, but it is important with both of them, be sure you're planting trees that have, you know, kind of a chilling requirement that matches the area that you're in. And that way um, you'll have a lot more fruit. It's not going to help with the raccoons and the squirrels, but it certainly will help you have the potential to have more fruit produced. Yeah, well, I thought I did that, but anyway. Okay, now how about grapes? How do I trim them and keep them? I want to put them on a trellis. Um, but I don't know how to prune them to get them to do that. Well, grapes were, grapes are a vine. They'll, you just start them up the trellis, and they'll take over from there. What we do to increase grape production is we really thin them heavily, I mean up to 90%. But in most cases, we're just going through and thinning them out. There's several different styles of pruning on grapes, and it partly depends on the variety of grapes. Champanelle is the variety that I find produces best in this area, and it's also very disease-resistant. But it's uh, on a grapevine, it's uh, going through and thinning it out. You never, you know, cut things really, really far back on the kinds of grapes we grow here. Now, the grapes they grow in California, the grapes they grow in Argentina, uh, they do a little bit different pruning, but uh, we're limited on the number of varieties that will do well here. And in uh, the ones that do well here, just thinning is probably the best thing you can do on them. So just trim the little spindly ones out? Or? Yeah, trim the spindly okay. ones out, but do a lot of trimming. I mean, if they've got, you know, six you know, long vines coming out, take four of them out. They really like to be thinned oh, pretty wow. heavily. Okay. 
And Champanelle is the one I have. So Yeah, Champanelle is a real grape. good choice for this area. It's a seeded okay. grape, but it's a sweet grape. It makes good wine. It makes good jelly, and it's just fine to eat, eat fresh. You just have to spit some seeds. Okie doke. That's all I have. Well, you get out and have a good weekend. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks. Certainly. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Bill is up next. Good morning, Bill. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I did a little research yesterday, and I'm not sure, but what I saw on the Internet is something called Tifton 85 and 44, but this last word brings a bell to me, jigs. I don't know jigs. I know Tifton 85, and that is a that is a good, improved coastal. I would check and be sure on the cold hardiness because a couple of those new uh, tiffs that they developed are, you know, more for growing in the valley than they are up here. But as far as I know, Tifton 85 is the one that uh, I know people have had good success with. Jigs, I'm just not familiar with it. It may be a great grass, but it's not one that I know. Well, I was trying to think, you know, you said that company in South Texas, for some reason that weird name hit me, but maybe I'm wrong. But anyway... Uh, you remember there used to be a company I thought advertised on your radio station that talked about these sprigs that yeah. you, know, you can buy in a pallet or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, and I yeah I used to advertise them for them years ago, and I think it was also one of the companies that produces a great number of little onion plants down there. But uh, you know I was getting trying to catch up on everything from the trip, and I didn't uh, have a chance to Google it yesterday. I'll try to do that in the next few days and see if I can help you find the find the name of that one because. Uh, uh, as far as I know, they're still doing it, and they produce a real good quality, um, you know, start. And since you've got somebody else paying for it, <laughs> you're you're way ahead of the game. Now, if you can just pay the weatherman to rain at the right time, everything right. will be perfect. But the forecast, if you can believe, you know, these long-term guys should be a little bit wetter than average spring. So it's going to be a great year to put out some no, uh, some more sprigs of uh, good coastal. Probably my luck, they won't come through here till this fall. You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> like the guy said, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. I know. I've been there. The first of the year didn't start out real good for me, but uh, you got to look on the bright side. At least I'm not in hospice. Well, that's exactly right. As a friend of mine says, it's always better to be seen than to be viewed. <laughs> for after. All right. I'll just, uh, uh, if you do, I'll call your. Uh, nursery and maybe by wednesday or so yeah yeah give me till about wednesday and i'll see you see if i can see what i can find for you all right bob have a good one you too bill thank you sir goodbye good morning Kay. good morning bob good morning i have a question for you we're um, moving out into the hill country congratulations thank you very much i'm wanting to take out some of the cedars but i want to replace it for privacy so i was looking at arizona blue spruce is that something that would grow around here no (laughs) no it's it's a much higher altitude tree if you're looking for a native evergreen um you know it's going to be hard to beat mountain laurel uh and of course needs to be deer resistant as well which mountain laurel is there are your uh, yopon hollies uh, there is the evergreen form, which, of course, is most desirable. There's also a deciduous form they call possum haw, which is what you see through the hill country this time of year with, or well, earlier, too, with beautiful red berries on it. But for a screening plant that is deer-resistant, that is adaptable to the soils, that once it's established, you just never think about it, it's going to be hard to beat mountain laurel. Okay. All right. 
Um, and the other thing you said was Yopon Holly, but I need to make sure it's a it's an evergreen. Well, yeah, and this and the Yopon Holly is the Possum Ha Holly is not. If you want the best variety of uh, Yopon, you want one called Pride of Houston. Okay. And there is. And do you know what kind of cost that would be to put in the hollies? It just is going to depend on the size of plant that you get. If you get a five-gallon plant, you're going to pay probably $25 to $35 for it. If you get a 15-gallon plant, um, it's going to be probably $125. Just dig a few holes and be sure that you can dig a hole. Uh, don't go out and buy a 15-gallon plant and then find out that you can't dig a hole bigger than a five-gallon plant would fit into. Right. Yeah, my only concern with the mountain laurel, I love them, and I have a lot of little starters I'm going to start. But it's so slow growing. So not if you was, not if you fertilize in water. Mount Laurel will grow as fast as many other plants. Uh, it's just out in nature where they have little nutrition and not much rainfall. They're going to be slow. But in your conditions where Kay's taking much better care of them, they can put on two to three feet of growth per year. All right. Well, that's a good solution. Okay. And so what kind of, um, like, how often would I have to fertilize with this? Uh, if you're using a, if you're trying to encourage growth, using a good organic fertilizer, maybe four times a year. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Always a pleasure. Let us help anytime right. we can, Kate. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Certainly. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, Teresa's next. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. I'm glad you're better. Well, thank you very much. I am, too. <laughs> I'm, I want to ask you about my tomato seeds that I started, and they're up already. Okay. They're about an inch tall, and they're beginning to get kind of, what do you call it, leggy? Yeah. I know I need more light. That's they right. They have two, the two little leaves that, that they come out with. That's called know? cotyledons or seed leaves, yes. Uh-huh. At what? At is it too early to put into four-inch pots? Yes, I would wait until they have one to two sets of true leaves on them. And remember, with tomatoes, when you go into the four-inch pots, you can plant them deeper. Uh, yes. The more light you get them into, the stockier they will be, the stronger they will be, the shorter they will be. But uh, okay, You're talking about the transplants, right? These little trans seedlings that yeah. I'm going to transplant? Right. Okay, plant them deeper. Okay. And what soil? What soil? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. What soil can I use? Can I use part of the garden soil in the mix that I'm going to put into the four-inch pot? Sure, absolutely. Use the same, yeah, just just if you want to get a potting soil and add 50% garden soil, that'll be a great mix. All right, that's what I'm going to do. You Thank have you. good luck with it. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.